me and my best friend Pete. Old adventures, new critiques. He spins webs, I spin yarns. Kinda kooky, be forewarned. Look out, it's me and my friend Pete. Welcome back to me and my friend Pete. This is the bonus episode focusing on The Amazing Spider-Man number seven, The Return of the Vulture. But before we get into Amazing Spider-Man number seven, Return of the Vulture, as promised, let me give you a little bit of me. First things first, as a fan of Spider-Man, it brings me great joy to know that Amazing Fantasy number 15 was released on August 10th, 1962. So it makes me very happy to know that Spidey and I are Leos. I wasn't born in 1962, I was born in 1985. But sharing that Leo space, it makes me happy because I didn't know that until doing the research for that first issue of Amazing Fantasy. I had no, I had no idea that Spidey's birthday was August 10th. A little about my family dynamic. I know we got into Amazing Fantasy 15 and you see Pete was the only child raised by his on it, his elderly on and uncle. I was not the only child. I have three brothers, I have a sister, but we were raised by our grandmother. So I did have that aspect in the sense of knowing what it's like to be raised by someone who is probably at the part of their life where they really wanna be into relaxation mode, but because of the hand that fate dealt them, they, they have to keep playing the cards and still figure out how to kind of get up and go and, and be this provider. I think my Nana was a lot stronger than Aunt May. No offense, Aunt May. There used to be these collectible cards from Marvel. Aunt May had a card and her card, her power was the ability to survive heart attacks. <laughs> That's not a power. <laughs> if that sounds like you need some open heart surgery, maybe some blood thinners. I don't know how to treat you know, heart attacks. I'm not, I'm not a doctor. I related to Pete off of the strength of you know my family then dynamic growing up maybe being a fan of Spider-Man gave me my sense of humor, like that snark. You know, I related with that smart mouth. I related with his emotionality. I related so much to that inner anger of like being this slight, small kid that's picked on and, and, and having this idea of I'll show you. So I, I shared that emotionality moving forward. Now, there are moments in your life that you remember forever. For me, a lot of the times when I look back on my memories at this point in my life, it feels like I'm watching them in a movie. It doesn't feel like I'm, I'm looking at the memory through my eyes, where say there's a memory of me and my brother, the one and only Jody Lennon. Say there's a memory of us fighting and me putting him into a headlock. That memory, when I look at it in my head, I'm not there putting him in the headlock where I'm supposed to be. I'm watching it, so I see myself now when I look back in a lot of my memories, I see myself, and maybe that's disassociation, I don't know. I don't see it from the perspective that I should, meaning I don't see his head when I when I look in my memories underneath my arm. I, I see instead me standing at the door of my room. You know, I don't see me, but I'm standing at the door of my room and I see us over there, right? I'm not there with them, I'm here, looking at them over there doing this. And it doesn't, it never makes sense to me because how can I remove myself that way? And again, I don't understand it. Maybe if someone has any idea of like why that happens, you can let me know in the comments. Greatly appreciate that kind of understanding. But for my first comic book, it's all first person. I remember it all. Eight years old, I have three brothers and a sister. And we have a three bedroom apartment in the South Bronx. And you know, we all had our own roles and responsibilities in the house. My job was to clean the bathroom and take out the garbage. Those are my two those are my two chores. I lived on the sixth floor of like this giant building. I call it the palace. And on every floor the letters went from A through N. So we lived in six N. And my responsibility in the home, my first responsibility when I was eight years old was to take out the garbage. And I would take it out and the incinerator was at the end of the hall. And it was really far and being eight years old, for me, it was terrifying. And this is before I had any kind of influences that said be brave. I was still reading Dr. Seuss, I was still on the cat in the hat and green eggs and ham. And you know, I learned how to be annoying. I wasn't really learning things as far as bravery and things like that. So whenever I had to take out the garbage, I would be so scared and I would run the length of that hallway. You know, I'm on 6N, the incinerator is next to 6A. So I'm literally running the length of the building, right? And I had to run that length of the building and the incinerator was inside of a closed door 
and there was enough space for one to two people could step inside of that incinerator and be inside of that incinerator comfortably. The incinerators never stunk or smelled bad because we had a great super. Shout out to Rafi. It was like this really clean space. You know, there's the incinerator chute where you throw your bags down, that closes, and then you just have this square space behind a closed door. I would run to that incinerator, open it, hold the door open with my foot, reach out. I'm eight years old, so it was a, you know, it's extended reach, reach out, pull the handle, throw the garbage in, and then race back down the hallway towards my apartment. And I would be scared, just, just ter terrified as an eight-year-old kid until one day, just taking out the garbage, nothing out of the normal. You know, we had just eaten dinner. It's like 8.30, 9 o'clock. I grab the garbage. I'm walking down the hall. I swing the door open to the incinerator. I throw the garbage inside of the chute. And on the floor, there are these brown boxes and just regular brown boxes. But, you know, I'm eight years old. You know, uh, there's nobody around and it's garbage. It's in the incinerator. So I open one of the boxes. There's two of them. The box on the right was filled with National Geographics. Didn't really interest me. I wasn't a huge fan of animals at the time. So that didn't really do anything for me. But the box next to it, when I opened that box, it was just filled, filled with graphic novels and movie adaptation books. So for example, there was a Star Wars book there on the top, on the top of the pile, based off of, you know, episode four, the first Star Wars uh, movie that came out, it was like a movie, but in book form. It didn't really entice me, whatever the case was, I didn't really care about it. But next to that book was a graphic novel. And a graphic novel, for those who aren't aware, a graphic novel is a collection of stories under one title. The masterworks that I'm using to read these amazing Spider-Man stories, that's a graphic novel because it's a collection of stories based off of one, like, you know, focused on one hero or heroes or super team or whatever the case is. And it was this graphic novel and it had this funky, funky cover. There's this guy in this red and blue suit, right? He's got this big guy. He's got like these spider web wings. He's got a giant spider on his back. He's swinging on like a web and there's this other guy in all green dressed up like a giant bird. My eight-year-old brain was on fire. <laughs> Who is this amazing Spider-Man? And you know, what's his, what's his story? What's he about? I left the, you know, the Star Wars and the rest of the graphic novels there and I took the amazing Spider-Man. I, I took that graphic novel, the one with Spider-Man on the cover. I get back to the apartment. I go back to my room and we had bunk beds and I had the bottom bunk. I wasn't one of those one of those people who wanted the top bunk. I always liked the bottom bunk because you could put sheets and stuff and kind of block out all the light and that's always, if anybody knows me, if you've ever seen me sleep in a bunk bed and you didn't see sheets covering it, man, that was not me. <laughs> I don't know who that was, that's just how bunk beds go down. Is it wrong to sleep in bunk beds as an adult? Maybe, uh, it's not my life, but I feel like if, if they did it in Step Brothers, those are, that's the example I'd like to follow. And the movie Step Brothers, if, you, if you've seen it. I get back to my bunk bed and I start reading and the world was never the same after that. So I just wanted to give some context. I didn't want to jump right into it. But now that we're here and now that I've found that amazing Spider-Man number seven and now that I'm here, I'm going to go through this. I have it in front of me now. I have the amazing Spider-Man open in front of me now. And I'm going to do my best to kind of capture the different emotions and the things like that that were going through my young eight-year-old self's mind while I was reading this story about this Spider-Man. So without further ado, I give to you, me, and the amazing Spider-Man number seven, the return of the Vulture. Me and my best friend Pete, old adventures, new critiques. He spins webs, I spin yarns, kinda kooky, be forewarned. Look out, it's me and my friend Pete. So first things first with the Amazing Spider-Man number seven, The Return of the Vulture. We have the cover. This is a B-E-A beautiful cover, as they would say. I don't know who they are, but I've heard someone say that before. On this cover, you have uh, Spidey swinging towards uh, the Vulture. He's got like the, the motion lines behind him, so you can tell he's, he's moving at a great speed. The Vulture is like bearing down on him from above, and but Spidey's fearlessly swinging up to meet him, and I think that's probably what grabbed me from the first. Also, I think the lettering, the amazing Spider-Man, the way that it looks, the way that his name is has like that double on top, it's yellow, but under it, it has like red effect to make the Spider-Man pop. Inside, this was a 12 cent comic, so this is the Silver Age of comic books. Uh, you have Spidey inside of the, you know, the little frame that Marvel uses 
where they put like either a logo or a superhero's uh, picture. And this was the first comic that I ever read. And right from the start, just looking at this cover and everything that's going on on it, like I didn't know there's a thought bubble above Spidey with like a bunch of arcs. I guess that's the best way to describe it, like a thought balloon. And then it has like the little circles leading to his head. I didn't know that that was a thought balloon at this. Like I, I learned everything reading this comic. Every, everything that I knew about, knew about comics as an eight-year-old kid, I learned reading this one or the graphic novel with this one included, but this was the first story. So I didn't know that that was a thought bubble, but you know, context clues. Spidey's here, he's saying, the vulture looks too sure of himself. He must have a foolproof plan to defeat me, but what can it be? Immediately, I'm like, okay, he must be thinking that because why would he say that out loud if this guy who I assume is the vulture is coming right at him? You know, the buildings in the background, as was the case with a lot of these early covers, they're all grayed out and it's just like, you know, the focus is on these two. So let's jump right in. First page of the comic and there's a caption box that is basically saying because of the vulture's popularity and because of people's requests to bring him back, this is why the vulture has returned and the vulture first appeared in Amazing Spider-Man number two. So this is his second appearance in The Amazing Spider-Man. So The Return of the Vulture, it was written by Stan Lee, it was illustrated by Steve Ditko, and Art Simek was uh, the letterer. And on this first page, you just, you have this great shot of like, Spidey is riding the vulture. Imagine being on the back of a, of a horse or whatever, and like, but your arms are not holding the horse. Spidey's got the vulture like this. He straddled the vulture in this way as if the vulture is like a horse or beast of burden. But, they're upside down. He's mounted on this guy. And me looking at this as a kid, like, okay, so he's on him, but he doesn't have the advantage. He's upside down and he's headed towards like this giant piece of machinery. And there are like these three people in the back and they all look worried for him. I'm worried for him. And that that's kind of how my, my introduction to Spider-Man starts off. It's like, when is he on the ground? That's what was, that was what was going through my mind. When does this guy touch feet on the ground? And so let's get into it. The Return of the Vulture. The story jumps off and it starts with a recap on how Spidey beat the Vulture the first time. I have to give spoilers because there's no way to kind of get through this issue without them. But I, I hope that it doesn't hurt too much when we when we do go back to Amazing, Amazing Number 2 and get with the Vulture's first appearance. So going panel by panel, you see Spidey fighting the vulture. He figured out that the vulture's wings are, are operated using magnetic power. And Spidey being a scientist, he created an anti-magnetic inverter to offset the vulture's powers. Now, again, me as an eight-year-old kid, immediately I'm like, okay, this guy is smart too. I'm, I'm already enamored. This guy's a scientist, love science. The next panel, Spidey saying uh, the vulture, the vulture will never... The, the vulture will never threaten anyone again, right? And you know, he's beat him. And so that's the recap, right? Spidey made this anti-magnetic inverter. That's how he took down the vulture when the vulture showed up the first time. I think it's a great recap because it doesn't give anything away from the story as far as what happened and what led to uh, the defeat. It just shows, you know, there was this device that Spidey made, but you know, there's a long road to the finish line and it doesn't give that long road, which is always important to me. I always think the story is, is more important than the destination. So we move on and then it's months later and the vulture has become a model inmate. This is a quote. This, the vulture has become a model inmate of state prison. They don't say his real name here, so I won't. Um, I'm going to call him the vulture until they drop it. There are a couple cops in the background. They're saying he's the best prisoner in his place and the warden let him use the machine shop. That's how good the vulture's been. That The wardens let him use the machine shop. Now for a man who's created the ability to fly with magnetic power i wouldn't want him to be in a machine shop but i'm not the warden of a prison i'd never be the warden of a prison um abolish all prisons but this warden he's given a vulture a free run of the machine shop and and of course the vulture saying you know you gullible fools you idiots he's while well, like in this machine shop he's of course made a new device to help him fly but this device isn't as strong as his last device it only it only helps him hover it doesn't he, he's not really flying he can only he's you know he's in his cell he's hovering a little bit over his bed and he's like you know i don't have to be able to fly i just need to be able to hover just enough to get free the next panel we see he flies over the wall with everybody watching and it's like all he had to do is wait till they looked away and you know gotten out of there but that's not what he does you know the vulture the vulture is a cocky little piss and he wants people to see he wants them to know that he can't be stopped so he's out of there he flies over the wall gets out of there you know everybody's pointing and he's saying you know it was easy but by the he's you know he's saying uh by the time the guards find him by the time they organize the search he's going to be long gone and he's going to be more powerful than he ever was 
right? Then we flash away and we, we're at Midtown High. And at Midtown High, you already know what's going on. If we're at Midtown High and Peter Parker's there, somebody's getting picked on. Now, eight-year-old me, this moment, this page touched my heart and, and on a deep and personal level. You know, there's Flash Thompson is here. And Flash, this time he's got on a green, he's got on a green sweater, he's got on a, a white collar. This time he, Flash actually looks stylish, but Flash is a jerk. He's tossing a uh, heavy ball at Pete and, and saying, you can't handle it, calling them Butterfingers, all this stuff. And Spidey, uh, Peter Parker in response, in his, in his internal monologue, he, he says, if I use my spider strength, it would go clean through you, loudmouth. And, and that's such a real thing for like for it to be a slight kid. And even though Pete has these powers now, if you remember, there was a point for 15 years he needed those glasses. So I don't think his thought process would suddenly change in these moments when, if you recall in Amazing Spider-Man, uh, Amazing Fantasy 15, he was already saying, you know, I'm going to show them, blah, blah, blah. He already had this, I'm going to show and prove to these guys that don't respect me. He was already, he already had this kind of mindset. So... You see him here now, and 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 it's more of the same. I don't think like, I don't think his arrogance comes from him being uh, Spider-Man. Spider-Man gave him confidence. I think like the jerk in him comes from being bullied. Whatever Flash's problem with Pete, you know, maybe just he just upset that Pete has Pete has brown hair and glasses. I think that's what it is. But he's tossing Pete this heavy this heavy ball, and he's saying, you know, you can't handle it. And Pete's saying, you know, I'd punch I'd punch a hole through you if I threw it back for real in his mind, and. Pete switched up his Pete switched up his vest on this one. Pete's got on a yellow vest. He still has the um a pair of a pair of uh, light blue slacks from his Steve Jobs inspired closet. You know he's still he's still he's not gonna switch up the pants. Like th those are Pete's pants. He's made his decision already. But he he switched up the vest at least, and now he has on a red tie. So he's he's definitely coming into his own. He's 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 more confident with his style. He's coming into the to the age. Next panel, we see a guy and he's walking with a handheld radio, one of those old school handheld radios. It looks like a cassette player to me, maybe even an A-track. I don't know, but this guy, whatever it is, he has on a purple blazer. He's got on a white collar shirt. That's the style, like blazer and like collar shirts were big in the 60s, clearly. And he's listening to the radio and they're saying the vultures escaped. And, you know, Pete being Spider-Man, Pete's got a Pete's got a personal stake in this. Like nobody else can stop this guy. I'm the guy who stopped him last time. It's, it's got to be me. And immediately in the next panel pete does the classic superhero move of saying you know i don't feel well you know i'm gonna ask the coach if i can be excused and flash calls him a poor puny parker right you call him triple p's triple p's out here poor puny parker get out of here and you know pete's leaving to go do this honorable thing but he has the he has the thought process of a 15 year old kid and that's you know again this me being a kid and relating relating to those moments where you think you can really show people what you can do and then you can't. Then you have to go. I'm just gonna read I'm just gonna read what Pete what Pete thinks he's right. Just my crummy look. Every time I have to take off the chains of Spider-Man, everyone thinks I'm chickening out because of weakness. And you know, I can relate to that, to that moment of, yeah, I'm gonna show and prove it, then you get pulled away and you can't really do it. Or people won't allow you to. Whatever the case is. Flash calls him out, he says, You're saying that you got a headache, but you always have a headache during gym time, like knock it off pete back in his home <laughs> pete back in his home he goes uh you know he says this his double identity jazz he's this double identity jazz is for the birds quote like that's a quote if he has to keep taking this torture as peter parker somebody's gonna lose some teeth and not some he didn't even say some he said a mouthful he'll he's gonna knock all the teeth out of somebody's mouth if they keep disrespecting peter parker's name that's how he feels and i, I understand that I, I think that's gangster, Pete. Be careful, though. You're super strong. Take it easy. Pull your punches. So Pete's getting ready in, in this panel. He's he's donning his Spidey suit and, you know, talking talking crap out loud to the air as Pete does because Pete say what he wants um, when he wants out loud. We move on and we see him gearing up. And again, this as a, as an eight-year-old kid and me seeing this, this just like sent my imagination into full spin, like seeing the web shooters seeing them on his wrist, having him explain how they work. He says, I put them on my wrist, I load them up with cartridges, and I'll have enough. I have enough to, to deal with the vulture, etc., etc." He says he's gonna take his camera, he has that all He has that all ready to go, and he's gonna go out, he's gonna cast this guy. He has to wait, he says, and the next panel we see him, you know, after he has all his gear on, the next panel we see his house in Forest Hills. His spider sense is irradiating out of the house and letting him know the street is empty. Again, this was another thing that piqued my interest. What do you mean? Like, Spider-Sense, what's that about? So he was able to sneak out without anybody seeing him because his Spider-Sense, you know, protects him from people seeing him. And I guess his Spider-Sense on a subconscious level knows that his, his identity needs to be secret. The next panel we see, again, much like in Amazing Fantasy number 15, there's a red-headed kid who sees him leaving. Spidey's 
spider sense doesn't go off for the kid because the kid is in a danger. But just like the last time, the kid sees him and this time he says, look, Spider-Man's swinging from the rooftops. And everybody's telling him, you know, shut up, you idiot. That's just not what's happening. Why would Spider-Man be in, in, a, in a Queens neighborhood? You're just imagining things, Bobby. Right? It's so sad. This kid, Bobby, he's... Listen to kids, man. They, they, they see a lot more than we do. We're the ones stuck in, in the tunnel vision of looking straight ahead to get things done in this life business. But kids have a lot more time to have their heads on a swivel. So if they tell you they're seeing something, what's it going to hurt you to look? Right? These are two kids, two kids who spotted Spidey out there, and the adults in the area just idiots, clearly. Uh, they're the idiots, not the kid. The kid's got great vision. Good for you, kid. Spotted the greatest. So Spidey gets back to the city in no time at all. I always assume Spidey web swings at something like 100 miles an hour. He has to. And it makes sense that he, he gets to so many places so fast because where's the traffic? Where's the traffic? This guy can leap really far. He has the, you know, he has his web shooters. So he, he's going to get around pretty quickly. He gets to New York City and he, you know, he starts looking for the vulture. The next panel, we see the vulture and it's now hours later. So Pete's been looking for this guy for hours with no luck. Vulture's created new wings. He's back airborne. He's up in the sky. And as soon as he's up in the sky, of course, he's spotted by a police helicopter. And you know, they say they're in luck. There's the vulture because of a word that the vulture uses. The vulture's voice in my head is going to be Lincoln Osiris from the Tropic Thunder movie. As a black man, I think there are a shit ton of issues always when a white person does blackface. And I don't want it to be a, as a fan of comedy though, I get it, no. If you can't find a way to be funny without being insulting, especially to a whole race of people, then you're not funny. And people can laugh, but you're not funny. Shout out to Seinfeld. You know that said Tropic Thunder, you, me saying all those things and I firmly believe it, but, and my grandmother used to say everything after but is bullshit, but, that movie makes me laugh so hard because of the idiocy of all the characters and they don't see their own hubris and their own stupidity and their own extraness. One, one of my brothers is an actor and he told me he had a role once and he went in there and they told him to be this person and he just went over the top and the director was like, what are you doing? And he was like, well, you know, I'm acting, I'm, I'm trying to be this person. He's like, be yourself and act it. We've all been happy, we've all been sad, we've all been, we've all been et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I'm not saying acting is easy, but I'm saying if you are an actor and you care about your craft, it's about finding those emotions that you have in you and putting them on display for everyone else and tricking us into believing that those emotions that you're portraying are from a whole different person. That's my take on it. Again, I'm not no cine cinephile, cineph whatever. But anyways, the vulture uses a word here that makes me think that he has the voice of Lincoln Osiris. And I think as a black man, this is just how it has to be. It just has to be this way. So he's being chased by this helicopter. He does this nifty like bounce in the air, depending on how the panel is drawn. If you go by how the panel is drawn, he kind of like bounced around the helicopter and then flew towards us. And it just looks beautiful in that first panel. Um, I love seeing like effects like that, that kind of show the movement in, in creative ways. And that's so creative. I can imagine him doing that easily. Next panel, he says, I can maneuver perfectly compared to my wings. That whirly bird is a slow, cumbersome, clumsy old tub. Right? Like, <laughs> that's the vulture. He shook the whirly bird. No problem. The whirly bird, they're saying that, that that character can turn on a dime. The vulture's escaping these guys. He flies into a window, and, and he doesn't know what this window is, but of course he flies into the window of a jewelry store, and two seconds later, he pulls out a 22 and robs the joint. You know, the, the, the next panel, we see that the, the guy knows he's been robbed. He's calling out for help, but who's going to help him, right? Like, like, this is the vulture. Nobody can stop the vulture. The vulture flies out of the window. He flies low to the earth to stay off of the radar. Not really sure that's how radar works. At least in 1962, I don't think radar was that strong where it could pick up like a man-sized flying object. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know everything. So, you know, he's on ground level. You have all these people like, what, what the hell's going on? Why is the vulture here? You can't, and then, of course, you have the most ineffectual police force on the planet, NYPD. They're out here and they're, um, again, the, the NYPD and, and comics always get a pass to me. They all seem to be pretty stand-up uh, guys and gals who do, guys and women excuse me, who do their jobs with a plum and they really do try to be good people. So they're not like the, the, the trigger happy cops in the world that I live in. These guys, they don't want to shoot. They don't want to shoot into the crowd. If a bullet misses and ricochets, it'll hit an innocent bystander. That's what one cop is saying. The other cop is saying that's what he's counting on. So we can't give him what, what he wants. But if they get a clear shot, they have those they have those revolvers out, baby. They're going to let it fly. So the vulture, he knows that. He, he's back up in the sky to get away. But 
going back up in the sky, he's running to the Spider-Man. Spidey sees him, his Spider-Sense goes off, he realizes the Vulture, he says he has to get closer so his anti-magnetic inverter can work because it only works at short range, and him and the Vulture are about to get into it. The Vulture thinks he wants Spidey to get close, and he's gonna fool Spidey, and Spidey will have no idea. Spidey, on the flip side, he's standing on a building wall, you know, attached to that string of webbing that, you know, he seems to always be holding to make sure he doesn't fall because he's still only 15. He's standing, and the Vulture's flying at him, and the Vulture's threatening him, saying this is gonna be our, our last encounter. He calls him a young fool. And, you know, Spidey says he's glad he brought his camera. And at this time, when I was eight, I didn't I didn't know, you know, what he did for a living. So I didn't know why he, he popped this camera out. Or let me say, when I before I read this issue, I didn't know what he did. I didn't know anything about him, right? So, But he said that the picture was would be worth a small fortune to this guy named Jameson. So I assumed that he was a photographer. Vulture flies at uh, Spidey. Spidey activates the inverter. Vulture goes spiraling to the ground. In his mind, he's like, I'm pretending to fall. Spidey's saying it worked, and Spidey's descending to go after him. And Vulture knows that Spidey's descending to go after him, and Vulture's waiting for him. So you have this great scene of like Spidey following a whirling Vulture to the earth. But then when Vulture gets out of Spidey's field of vision, he starts shooting back up towards Spidey. Spidey is walking on the ledge and, and getting closer to the edge of the ledge, and his, his spider sense is tingling, and he doesn't know why, and he's ignoring it, right? Like he's ignoring his own instincts. Like his spider sense has never steered him wrong, but he's ignoring it here. He's saying, you know, maybe it's on the fritz. Uh, why, why would it be tingling? There's no danger here. And he doesn't see. The very next panel, this is why his spider sense is ringing. Vulture hits him with a double-fisted punch, knocks him off the ledge of the roof, no problem. We get to the infinity page. The Vulture follows up with a with another right hook. He's taunting Spidey, says this time the victory will be mine. You know Steve Ditko likes, likes to go with the crowd reaction shot. So we got a guy in a blue fedora. He's looking up, his mouth's agape. You got a blonde, you have a sandy blonde with like a red beret on, and you got like this blonde-haired white guy with a leather jacket. And they're all watching this fight. They're all saying it's the Vulture versus Spider-Man. And, and, you know, the woman with the beret is saying, you know, Spidey beat Vulture single-handedly. And the guy with the blue fedora, he's got no faith in Spidey. When she says that Spidey defeated him single-handed and he can do it again, he's like, uh, guess again, lady. The Vulture is clobbering him. Right, like uh, just giving him the business up there. We go back up there and the vulture is clobbering him. Now, after giving him that double-fisted punch and that right cross, he's just connected with a full, like a full leg extended kick across Spidey's face. And he's telling Spidey that he improved his design for his wings. And now that his, his wings, the way that Spidey stopped him last time, right? It was a magnetic inverter. So if say the wings were on a Northern magnetic pole, Spidey's inverter, switches them to a southern magnetic pole and they don't work. And that's why the Vulture lost last time. But this time, the Vulture, he's wised up. He's not a stupid man. Spidey doesn't fight stupid men. Spidey fights these genius level a-holes and it's not cool. The Vulture with, with his upgraded wings, they're able to switch magnetic poles instantly on a snap of a finger, no problem. And he's kicking Spidey across the face when he tells him this. And I just wanna take a moment. You know, this is not eight-year-old me. This is 35-year-old me talking. You look at the characters in this, not the characters, I'm not gonna jump ahead. Let's just stick with the vulture. He's clearly a genius. He clearly has the technology needed to make a fortune if he, if he just applied it in a way that could be capitalistic but i think a lot of these a lot of these villains they don't like the way the natural world is set up and they don't want to they don't want to move inside of that in, inside of that world so they're going to do things their way and and i looked it up there's no such thing as a device that can switch magnetic poles instantly so the vulture could have been a millionaire off the strength of just patenting this idea and giving everybody wings but the vulture is me first, right? He's a vulture, not doing it, right? This new this new technology he made is just for him. He's gonna use it to beat the crap out of Spidey. Kick Spidey in the face, Spidey's falling. Spidey shoots a web trying to hit the side of a building. He misses, he tries again, his one last shot. The last panel on this page is a beautiful panel. You just see like a strand of web looping in on itself and he just fell and now he's just falling. But Spidey is a genius and while Spidey is falling, he realizes if he spins around, he'll slow his descent and that's what he does. But we're left to imagine he's spinning, he, he slows his descent, he crashes into the rooftop of this building and it's, it's such a beautifully drawn panel because it looks like it hurts, but it looks like it hurts in a way that Spidey can handle it. And it makes me honestly think of the Civil War movie when Spidey is tossed to like a steel beam and you can tell it hit him and hurt him, but it was like you or I, like an average sized regular person being shoved into a wall. It could stun us, but it doesn't stop us. And that's kind of how this looks, right? It stuns uh, Spidey, but because of how he was falling, he slowed his descent and he landed on his head and he's knocked out. The next panel, we have the vulture saying he's finished. The vulture lands like on a flagpole and he just stares down at the people there. He doesn't say a word. He just says they're shocked. 
They saw it happen. He's glad they saw it happen. Nobody's gonna go against them now. That was what he wanted. Another great crowd reaction shot. It's all the same people. You know, the guy with the blue fedora is left. Now there's a guy with a brown fedora. The blonde guy, Beret is still there. All of them, all of them are still there. Now there's a cop there. And this cop, I wanna read what he says because it's one of those things that bothers me when it comes to the press and things like that where sometimes the messaging that we're receiving, it doesn't make sense to us because of what we know on the ground level. This is the perfect example of that. This, this cop, he says, quote, he says, poor Spider-Man. Despite what Jameson's editorial said about him, we cops always felt he was on our side. He'll sure be missed, whoever he was. So me as a kid, I'm, I'm reading this and I'm like, okay, again, there's this guy, Jameson. He must not like Spider-Man and he must have, he must, he must like be making it hard for people to like Spider-Man. Despite that, this cop knows that Spidey's on their side, right? No matter what the newspapers say, like the facts that I've seen and witnessed firsthand are more than the things that you're telling me. And that's, that's a powerful thing because a large amount of people will never meet Spider-Man. And I think when you're a celebrity, whether... Spidey is considered a hero or a villain or whatever the case is. He has celebrity. If you remember when he first started, he was the sensation of the nation. That's a direct quote. He was the sensation of the nation. So he's he's known, but most people will never meet him. So if the only thing that you have to go off of a person that you will never meet is what a reputable person is saying and it's in the negative about you, well, that, that can damage you way more than one person speaking the truth about you can offset that so it's i always love these moments especially with the police force in the spider-man universe they're a lot better than most people in giving this guy the benefit of the doubt because they've seen him come through and help them so this you know this police officer saying he's going to be missed but spidey's not going to be missed you may say all these beautiful things but you thought spidey was so weak that he was just killed so shut up copper you're you're wrong spidey says he got lucky he says that you know spinning kept him alive no he doesn't want anybody to discover him he tries to stand he thinks that his arm is broken he's holding his arm the last panel i just want to read this panel you know i highlighted it in my notes because of the last word you know he says guess i can't complain it probably saved my life if i hadn't been able to spin around if i had landed on my head instead zowie his arm saved his life so going back to that first panel it looks like he, he landed on his head to me but apparently the arm took the brunt of it and then his head hit the rooftop second and that's what knocked him out the next panel he's back home creeping through his own window pulling off his mask he doesn't think his arm is broken anymore he thinks it's probably just strained he says it does hurt though he wants to change it to peter parker and Aunt May, at that very moment, she's on the other side of the door. She says she heard a noise. She wants to know if he's in there. You know, he can't respond. She doesn't know that he's Spider-Man. So he jumps up onto the roof of his, of his bedroom, and we get this beautiful shot of, like, this bird's-eye view of him looking down on his aunt. And she's like, oh, I must have been hearing things. She says it's strange that he's not there, and she worries about him, and she calls him fragile. She says he's not a roughneck like that Flash Thompson. But if you're from where I'm from, shout-out to Salt and Pepper because they made a song about roughnecks. <laughs> Yeah, I wasn't a roughneck, but I, I feel like that's roughneck was like soldiers before so uh, you know the Destiny Child soldiers uh, song soldiers came out. Sheesh, I, I got Destiny's Child on the brain today. Wow, excuse me, all the single ladies. She's leaving, and you know Pete's sweating. He's like, "Whew, that was close." He changes into his <laughs> universally blue slacks. He puts on a black a black collar shirt. I think that's you know to to symbolize his defeat. He's beating himself up. He says it took him almost a half an hour to change. He sneaks out of his window and he goes in through the front door, right, to see Aunt May. The next the next page, the panel opens. He's in a hospital. Doctor saying it's just a sprain. He'll be fine in a few weeks. Pete's like, a few weeks? The vulture's not going to wait a few weeks. I got to go now. But he'll deal with it when the time comes. Right now, his biggest problem is Aunt May. You know, the doctor's telling Aunt May that he doesn't have to go to the hospital. Aunt May is saying, promise me you won't play those dangerous volleyball games in a schoolyard anymore, dear. And I love, I love what Pete says in response. He doesn't make the promise, but he reassures her in a way that is true. For the next week, I'm not going to be doing anything. But I'm not promising that because, again, if this guy pops up, I'm going to worry about it when, it, when when he comes. Of course, the next day, Pete has to go to school. He's at Midtown High. He hasn't changed his clothes from last night. He's, he's changed his shirt to, like, a black turtleneck. <laughs> so he's really on his Steve Jobs now. He's... That's it, he's become Steve Jobs. And of course, Flash Thompson asks him, where's his purple heart, right? Like, he's, if Flash is there, the, that blonde girl is there again. The blonde girl who had the pearls in issue one, she's here again. I still don't see her name, so I won't mention who I think she is. Flash Thompson's ribbon, quote, he says, uh, how did big brave Peter hurt his poor little arm? Did you try to turn too many pages at one time, bookworm? Or did you drop a nasty little test tube on it in the lab? Everybody starts cracking up. They're all laughing at Pete. And I want to read, the blonde girl says, look at Peter blush. 
Oh, Flash, honey, you're a scream. Me relating as a kid, having to deal with jerks and a-holes all the time and not being able to say, say what I want. They think that you're embarrassed, but it's really anger. And Pete says, quote, he thinks, blush. They don't recognize I'm livid with anger. If I ever let go, I'll splatter that clown all over the landscape. Man, I, like, I'm so glad this, this kid has, a, has an outlet to punch things because Flash doesn't let up. And Pete's really at the breaking point with this guy. And we can see it. Uh, I think it'll all come to a head soon, but we'll see. Meanwhile, Vulture is hiding out in the one place in New York City that nobody wants to be. He's in Staten Island. He's hiding on a farm. He's saying no one will ever look for him there. And he's absolutely right. Nobody goes to Staten Island unless they want to see the Staten Island Yankees. There's no reason for anybody to be there. You know, he says this is the life. He's planning his next haul, and he's trying to figure out what it's going to be. He figures it out. He says, J. Jonah Jameson publishes the Daily Bugle and Now Magazine. Says the guy must employ hundreds, and he's going to go steal the payroll. The next panel, we see him flying out the top of this silo, and then we get a look at Peter Parker. He's with this brunette. Her hair is brown with, like, black in it, so I assume she's a brunette. If it's black with blue in it, I assume... I just call her like a Veronica because I don't know what hair color that is. And Veronica from the Archie comics has like that black blue hair in my memory. But this this woman, we see that she's J. Jonah Jameson's secretary. They don't give us her name yet, but she asked Pete, you know, how he sprained his arm. And Pete says, OK, I'll tell you the truth. This is another thing that I love. Pete treats everyone as their own selves. If you remember that Amazing Fantasy number 15, everybody was getting on him. Everybody was getting on him, but he never lashed out at them. He always treated every person as an individual. If you didn't treat him poorly, he didn't treat you poorly. So whoever this woman is, she's being nice to him. She asked him what really happened. She says, you didn't sprain your arm playing volleyball because that's the lie Pete's been telling. So he says, okay, uh, quote, he says, okay, I'll tell you the truth. It happened in the air while I was fighting the vulture for dear life. And the woman says, oh, well, ask a silly question. So he tells her the truth of what happened, but because because of who he is, she doesn't believe it. And I think that's kind of a powerful weapon for Pete, who he is, like just what, what people see him as, what people believe he is. So then we have a voice off panel saying, Miss Brant, so whoever this woman is, her, her last name is Brant. And this guy screaming to send Parker in. And this guy, he's got on a, a like an orange tie. It has a tie clip on it. He's got on brown slacks, a white collar shirt. He's got a cigarette in his mouth. He's got black hair with the white temples on his Reed Richards. He's holding pictures in his hand. The picture that Spider-Man took when he was fighting the vulture. And the guy's saying, it's a fine picture, but he can't pay more than $10 for it. Wow. Talk about a ripoff. The vulture's been snapped by people all over town. So that's how he's trying to shortchange Peter here <laughs> by saying that he has all these other people bringing him pictures. Basically that there's so much supply, there's no demand, I'm gonna give you $10. But it's all BS. I can't imagine anybody having a better shot than head on. When Spider-Man took the picture of the vulture, the vulture was coming at him head on and, and Spidey took that picture of him head on. I, I imagine that this is just Jonah, this is just J. Jonah Jameson lying to drive the price down. I don't think that's a smart businessman. To me, that's a lecherous, greedy businessman. As any lecherous, greedy businessman would do, he's trying to drive the price down for his own benefit, unnecessarily, so he can spend less. Pete's advocating for himself. He's saying there's nobody who's taken a close-up like that of the Vulture before. <laughs> you know, Jameson, Jameson ups his price a little. He says, all right, I'll give you twelve fifty. And, you know, it's like no dice. And outside of the window, we see the vulture flying down and the vulture's thinking to himself, better see if you do, sucker. You're going to need it, right? Like, vulture comes flying through the window. He says, greetings, Jameson. You're paying money for a photo. Like, how much would you give for me in the flesh? Peter thinks, holy cow, it's him. And Jameson screams the vulture. And the vulture pulls out his little 22. He's on Jameson's desk. He's got the gun pointed at Jameson. He says, open your safe and empty it. I'm going to let this thing go. And Jameson, he says, no, you can't. You know, it's my payroll. Uh, it, it put me out of business. Vulture tells him, shut up. I don't, I don't give a damn about your payroll. I don't give a damn about your business. You got cash, I want it, all right? If I cared about business, I would have patented these wings and been a bajillionaire. But instead, I'm going to nickel and dime my way to the top because I'm hustling backwards, and that's just what the Vulture's about, hustling backwards. Jameson says, have you no conscience? And I think that's funny coming from a guy trying to pay $10 for the best picture of the vulture, the most famous villain in New York City up until this point. And Jameson says something else here that as a kid at eight years old, I'm like, oh, he does hate Spidey. Jameson says that the vulture is as bad as Spider-Man. And, you know, Peter Parker's right behind him. He's like, bite your tongue, JJ. He doesn't say it out loud. He thinks it. And the vulture and Jameson go back and forth. Jameson says, you know, don't take the money. And the vulture says, I'm taking this money. 
and Peter just slips through the back door while these two are arguing over money. If I'm the vulture, I'm not a stick-up guy. I've never been a stick-up guy. I've never done anything of the sort as far as robbing anybody with a, with a weapon. If I'm a stick-up guy and this person's going back and forth, Every movie's taught me you shoot him in the leg. Bah! Right? You see in every gangster movie a person don't want to listen? Bah! You shoot him in the foot. And was it Harlem Nights with Eddie Murphy and Della Reese? She came at him. He said, yo, you come at me. I'm going to shoot you. I'm going to shoot your fucking toe off. <laughs> she didn't want to listen. And he popped in the foot. Like, so you pop people in the foot to get your message across, right? I'm not trying to hurt anybody. And, and a shot below the waist can't be counted as attempted murder. I learned that too. Like, that's, that's, that's beside the point. Either way, Pete sneaks out the back. This guy, Vulture's hustling backwards. He's got the gun on Jameson, you know, arguing with him when you should just pop him and, and make him open the safe. But Jameson's not going to give up the money. And that's what Pete's saying in the next room as he's changing into Spider-Man. He says, well, greenbacks are concerned. Jameson can out-talk anybody. He webs up his right arm, right? His right arm is the one that's sprained. He webs it up. Even as an eight-year-old kid, this is what I love the most. He webs it up. We don't see any webbing. We don't see a sling. We're left to imagine that he webbed it up. And this just goes back to his webbing and, and how unique and powerful that is that I can believe easily that it's a thin, almost unseeable strand of webbing because of how webbing is, right? We've all walked into a spider's web before. And if you haven't, God bless you, but maybe you will someday. Life is long and spiders are everywhere. And sometimes they're so thin and you can't even see them, but you can feel it once it hits you. So again, this is life-size spider's webbing and he's got a thin strand and it, it requires you to use the imagination going forward and as a kid that just blew my mind that just blew my mind he climbs out of the window he says he should have he should have his head examined for being about to fight the vulture with a bad arm but buddy ain't no punk he's gonna crawl through this window and if they if they write his obituary as he says well so be it he had a good run he burst through the window and for a man who's just for a kid let me he's 15 for a man who just got trounced by this guy he comes through the window and Spidey is all business. He says, all right, Vulture, playtime is over. Here's where we separate the men from the boys. And I think that's su such an ironic phrasing because the Vulture looks to be around 60 years old and Spidey is 15. So you have the boy telling the man that this is where we're gonna separate the two and saying it in a way where I'm the man and you're the boy. Again, it's one of those things that as a kid, you're like, just because you're older, that don't mean that you're more powerful. I have power too. So Spidey comes through and Vulture shocks like you're still alive, doesn't matter. He pulls out the 22, but no, swip, Spidey swoops it. So I still haven't seen the legendary sound that his webbing makes, but we get a swoop this time. That's a lot closer. He swoops it, Vulture's like, I don't need a gun. He takes Jameson, he throws Jameson into Spidey. I got my wings and I got a diversion. Spidey says you have a heart too by the time I got, by the time I get through with you. So as a kid, as a fan of Tom and Jerry and Looney Tunes and all those different cartoons where you know, you're flying up to heaven and you have the harp and you have the halo and you have your wings. I immediately got the joke. And that was another thing that just pulled me in. Look at that comedy. And it's comedy. I'm eight and I get it. And it's so great. Spidey was a funny guy and that was reeling me in. So the vulture throws Jameson between him and Spidey. And then he clubs Spidey with a left hook over Jameson. <laughs> All this happening. Jameson's losing his mind. After vulture clubs Spidey, he flies out of the room. And Ms. Brant, she's running to get out of the way. Her papers are flying. Vulture saying he has to get out of the close quarters. Spider-Man leapfrogs Jameson in this moment. Jameson's down on one knee. It's a great shot because Jameson's down on one knee and Spidey like leapfrogs over him, pushing off of the guy's butt, right? And it just looks so strange and comical. Spidey's saying it's a private battle and Jameson's like, let the police handle it. Let the police handle it. But Spidey refuses. That's not, that's not how Spidey gives it up. Great power. I got this. Spidey leapfrogs Mrs. Brandt. I love that he says, oop, get to the side of the road, gal. Like, I don't know you, even though, you know, he knows her. We know he knows her, but she doesn't. She's saying it must be a bad dream. Vulture flies out of this room first. Spidey's like right on his tail. And then you got Jameson right behind them screaming, somebody call the police. Somebody call the police. Now they're fighting in the office. They're not, they're not fighting. Just this beautiful chase scene. So I don't want to say they're fighting. Vulture flies around this tower. It looks like of lockers and books. He flies around a tower. Spidey hops on top of it. Again, the chase continues. The next panel, you have Jameson bringing up the rear. Hey, Spidey's knocking all the ledgers and files down on top of him. And Jameson's like, look what you're doing. And Spidey tells him, oh, go slide down a barbed wire fence. Ouch, to say the least. The next scene, we see the vulture flying down a stairwell. Again, papers are flying. People are moving out of the way. All of this is happening. And Jameson is more concerned with Spider-Man than he is with the vulture. He says if he ever catches that mass menace, he's going to sue him for all he's worth. Meanwhile, this guy here is trying to rob you, but you're focused on Spider-Man. And I think it's really just Jameson being a hater. Until I have other proof 
uh, right now is just Jameson being a hater. Whoever this guy is that he blew up overnight, nobody, everybody doesn't like an overnight sensation. We could see from the first issue before Spidey did anything out of line, the Daily Voice, the cover that was on top of all those newspapers giving Spidey props, that was the only one not giving Spidey props and that was the only one asking who is the Spider-Man. If this guy is an entertainer, why does it matter who he is. And I can understand the, the mystery drawing to you, but who's Banksy? It's that same thing, like the people who wanna know who Banksy is. Why? He gave you the art and he wants his privacy. Why disrespect that? So shout outs to Banksy, giving your gifts to the world and keeping your autonomy and your, and your anonymity by your own choosing. I think that's, it's your choice. Spider-Man doesn't owe Jameson an uh, explanation on who he is. Moving forward. While the Vulture's flying down the staircase, you know, twirling around, doing all this, Spidey just jumps through the middle of the stairwell on, of course, one of his spider webs descending. And they get into this giant press room, like where, where the newspapers are pressed. All the hot off the presses newspapers are being spun around, and the two of them get into a brawl here. And that first page, that first scene, and like the first page of the issue, not, not the cover, the first page inside the flap, with Spider-Man flying upside down, that's taken from this from this moment. It has to be because Spidey jumps from uh, the rafters onto an unsuspecting vulture, and he rides him like a rodeo. And that's when the vulture flips upside down and 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 flies him towards that machine that I mentioned, this printing press machine. And Spidey's almost going to ram into it. At the last moment, the vulture changes angles, slams him into the ceiling. Spidey hurts his arm, but he's not going to let the vulture know that he has pain. He's falling again. He's worried that he won't miss, that he that he won't be able to web the ceiling as he's falling and that he's gonna hit this printing press and it's gonna be lights out. But Spidey is a quick, quick learner. If I shot this falling at this angle last time and I didn't get the hit, then at this time I gotta do it like this. Spidey gets the hit, saves himself, doesn't matter. The vulture comes through and tries to stop him. He tries to cut the strand, but Spidey makes it. Onto the ledge without falling, without hurting himself, without being crushed by the printing press. And the vulture flies out of the window. Spidey follows him out of the window. His spider sense goes off. When Vulture flew out of the window, he went above Spider-Man to kind of get the drop on him. But Spidey's spider sense is tingling. You can't sneak up on the homie like that. He lets the trap be sprung, right? Like Spidey knows it's a trap, but he lets it be sprung. Vulture grabs him, starts flying him up into the air. And the whole time, Vulture's just talking crap. And I want to read this because of how Spidey responds towards the end of this thing. Vulture says, ha, you blundered right into my trap as I knew you would. I'll take you up so high that you'll be completely helpless. Even a spider is powerless in the sky. He says, uh, are you sure you were never vaccinated with a phonograph needle? And you know, the vulture says, your flippancy is wasted on me, Spider-Man. You're just whistling in the dark. I know an icy fear must be gripping your heart right now. Spidey says, well, I'll admit, I've had happier moments. He's quipping, quipping, quipping. He never stops. And, that, and I love that about him, that he had an answer for everything. It mattered to me because my grandmother used to tell us that we had an answer for everything when she would want us to be quiet or you know, listen, and we were kind of giving her excuses or back talk. It's like, yeah, you got an answer for everything. So does Spidey. The Vulture says, before I drop you, Spider-Man, I want to say I admire your courage. Anyone else will be begging for mercy now. I'm almost sorry to have to do this. That's a quote. But Spidey said, yeah, I can see you're all broken up about it. But now that they're now that they're all the way up here, Spidey's like, I have a secret too. And he says, this little party isn't over yet. He webs up the Vulture's wings. The Vulture says, you know, you're a fool. You pinned, us, you pinned my wings to my side. I'm, I can't fly. We're both gonna die. And Spidey says, uh, well, who wants to live forever? Spidey's about this life. He, he has real bravery. Vulture starts crying. He says he doesn't want to die. Save me. Please save me. Spidey throws the Vulture's own words back into his face. I loved it. These next three panels are what solidified my love and appreciation for Spider-Man. Vulture says, save me. And, and Spidey says, I can't. I'm too busy admiring your tight-lipped courage. Talking all that crap about that you admire me for being tight-lipped in the face of my destruction. Right? And now the roles have flipped and you're screaming to be saved. And what does Spidey do? Well, I'd help you, but I, you know, I can't hear you over all your tight-lipped courage. Don't talk crap until you win, right? Going back to my boy with Lovely's life advice that I firmly believe in. Don't talk crap until you win. Spidey never talks crap in the way of, oh, I'm gonna beat you, blah, blah, blah. Spidey just nonstop annoying, arrogant, funny little quips. And I, I think it helps to great effect to keep people off balance, but we'll see later on. So, you know, Spidey says, you know, I can't, I'm, I'm too busy admiring your type of courage. And then Spidey does something that completely blew the mind of eight-year-old me. They're falling. I'm like, how the heck is Spidey? I've already, at this point, I've already realized he can't fly. I'm like, how the heck is Spidey going to survive this? What does he do? And it really comes down to, he starts spinning webs. He's spinning webs. What is he making? He's making a giant web parachute. 
and him and him and the vulture are descending to the earth now together slowly he's riding the vulture like a freaking horse another great crowd reaction shot you know Ditko being the goat of the reaction shot you got one guy blonde hair he's pointing up he's saying look in the sky a giant parachute there are two people there's a blonde a blonde woman with like an orange blazer on she says who are they it looks like another blonde woman she has on pearls she's got a, a yellow shirt a yellow hat says it's too high up we can't see who they are but this last guy he is going through it like he's got his hand on his face he's got his mouth open he's like his head is not tilted up only his eyes so it has this great dramatic effect of like oh my god i can't believe this and he's screaming quote he's saying uh it's spider-man and the vulture uh and quote and spider-man's beating him and quote and by some miracle, Spider-Man won. So <laughs> he loves the Spider-Man. Like that's that's my take on it because just the worry on his face and his excitement. Everything he says is exclamation points. I love it. And you know the Vulture as he and Spidey in the next panel as they're descending. He's like, you had this plan in mind the whole, all the all the time. And Spidey's like, yeah, I absolutely did. Spidey like attaches his webs to Vulture, and he hops off of the Vulture. He lets the Vulture keep descending towards the ground where he's gonna be. You know arrested by the police because his arms still don't work so he can't escape and he says uh you haven't heard the last of me and spidey says well you're gonna flap your gums to the bitter end and we get the next page spidey's on a building and across from him is jameson and jameson's like shouting out of the building i'm assuming this is the daily bugle offices that he's shouting out of he's saying spider-man wait spider-man thinks that uh jameson's about to you know say thank you for his help and all these different things but not at all Jameson saying that it's Spidey's fault completely. Completely Spidey's fault. Not not the two of the guys, but Spider-Man's fault completely. I'm sorry if I'm re if I'm saying it over and over. It just it really grinds my gears because I, I see a lot of people have this issue where they can't because of their personal dislike they cannot separate that from what's happening in the moment. And I think as far as human beings go, that is one of the worst qualities of us as human beings. Our personal feelings make us so biased and blind to people that we believe come into conflict with us on those on those things. So that that's kind of where my ire is right now, especially as an adult. As a kid, this, this was just, you know, there's no need to argue. Parents just don't understand. That was kind of my mentality when it came to Jameson. But now, like reading this as an adult, it, it really is troublesome to have a person of means, as a person of wealth, as a person of affluence and influence. And he's chosen this person to be kind of the butt of his of his attacks, uh, of his verbal attacks. He has all the things necessary to make Spidey's life, you know, more difficult than it needs to be for no reason, just because he doesn't like the guy. So he's saying he's holding Spidey responsible and Spidey's calling him a professional nut and Jameson's, you know, talking crap. And you know, Spidey listens to him. Spidey says, whatever, man. Essentially, Spider-Man says, whatever. Jameson says, I'll get what's coming to me in spades in regards to what Spidey owes. And Spidey says, look, mister, I'm about to give you, he says a quote, I'm about to give you something right now that's been coming to you for months. Jameson says, you wouldn't dare. And Spidey says, why not? Quote, why not? What have I got to lose? You couldn't hate me any more than you do now. We get the thwoop. Webs the guy's mouth completely shut. And he says, I won't have to listen to you for at least an hour. And I think that's, that's such a hilarious thing. So we know that the webbing lasts for an hour and he's just essentially shut up for an hour and you don't have any choice in the matter. Spidey creeps back into the Daily Bugle and he goes back into the room where he left his clothes and he changes back into his clothes. He puts the sling back around his arm. He comes back out and he's walking through the office and he sees Miss Brant and we find out that Miss Brant's name is Betty. So he says, hey Betty. He asks her what she's doing behind the desk. She says it was a madhouse in here. I'm just hiding. And Pete asks to join her. And remember, Pete's going to shoot his shot. Remember that young lady in, in, in Amazing Fantasy number 15, right? For the umpteenth time, Peter Parker. Pete's going to shoot his shot. So Pete says, mind if I join you? And she says, you know, be my guest. So he does. He sits down next to her and they kind of go back and forth. She asks him where he was during the whole Vulture and Spider-Man incident. And he says he was hiding in a closet. He says, I'm afraid I'm just not the heroic type. She says she's not either. And maybe that's why she likes him because he doesn't pretend to be anything that he's not. He says, man, if you only knew. Jameson comes running by. He's cursing with his mouth webbed shut. Betty says, what's wrong? And Pete says, it's an improvement. Betty says, sometimes I think you're laughing at a joke. that, like, a, It's a secret little joke that only you're laughing at. Pete kicks game. Pete kicks game like Ronaldo. Pete kicks game like Pele Pele. Pete kicks game like Podolsky. And he says, uh, if you keep using that cool perfume, Betty, I may break down and tell you about it someday. Pete's not afraid of the ladies. And that's one of the things that was the like one of the biggest things to me about him was like the way the world treated him didn't make him cower and become small. Like, OK, I'm a nerd. 
you know, okay, I, I have all these things that you consider faults, but I'm still going to shoot my shot. I think I have a, a lot to offer somebody, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go ahead and offer it. And I just want to read this entire last panel because I think it's a great back and forth, and I think it shows, like, who Pete truly is. I think in this moment with Betty, this is who Pete truly is. Like, he gets to be his most amiable, his most charming. He gets to be his, his authentic self where, like, he's genuinely having a conversation with a person who doesn't look at him like scum. Betty, Betty Brandt says, Peter Parker, that's the closest thing to a romantic remark I've ever heard you say. Pete says, gosh, I can be more romantic than that. Here, rest your head on my shoulder, blue eyes, and let's enjoy the silence. Betty says, but what will Mr. Jameson say? And Pete says, nothing, baby, for at least an hour. We get a little caption bubble at the end, wrapping it up. As an eight-year-old kid who had never read a comic book in his life, who had no idea about what superheroes were in the real sense. And, I, and you know, I'd seen, I'd seen the Superman movie, but I didn't, I didn't really care about superheroes before this moment. So anyways, that issue came to an end and I'm laying there in my bed and my mind is just blown. So I only took one of these graphic novels and it was like a box full of them, but Spidey was on top and that was the one I took. When I say I ran back to that incinerator so fast and took everything that was there, except the National Geographic's, sorry, Nat Geo, that's not my, that wasn't my cup of tea as a kid. But Spider-Man very, in a very real way and in a very real moment became this gateway to this technicolored world of imagination and fun and, you know, just dreams. And without Spider-Man for me, maybe I would have come into comics. Maybe I would have had a different hero. Maybe I would have had a different outlook on life, but there were so many things that I related to, you know, being being raised by an elderly person and, and knowing that they're struggling trying to figure out where, you know, where the food is coming from, where the bills are going to be paid from. Being a kid who was picked on, you know, all through elementary school, definitely related even harder with Spider-Man once I got into junior high school and the way that I was just mocked and bullied there. Um, it was, oh man, it was, it was a sight to behold. But in that same spirit of a Peter Parker, I, I, like I wasn't, I was not a victim, you know, like people can try to victimize you, but everybody has to know that turnabout is fair play. With Peter Parker as my avatar and proof that you could be yourself and it didn't matter if other people didn't like you or other people didn't accept you, it's who you are and be who you are and, and try to try to gain confidence in that and try to gain an understanding of yourself in that. Peter Parker, truly, the amazing Spider-Man was my gateway into that and my anchor when I didn't believe in myself in that way. So that was the first Amazing Spider-Man comic that I ever read. Um, we've come to the finish line of this deluxe. Man, this is this is a lot. I, I poured a lot into this premiere, into this premiere podcast episode of me and my friend Pete, but there was a lot of ground to cover. I wanted you, I wanted you all to know and understand that I take these stories very seriously, and I don't mean that in the sense of, of push his glasses up the bridge of his nose. Well, actually, uh, Spider-Man's first uh, combat with the Spider-Slayer. No, I'm not talking about, you know, the factual actuals and all those things that people kind of use to gatekeep. I mean, I take them seriously in the message that they send, especially because it's a medium that's geared toward children. So the message that I received from it was so positive to me and so uplifting to me that I kind of latched onto it and, and I'm glad that I did because, you know, I was eight now being a man and, and seeing how formative my love of Spider-Man was to who I am. I'm just really excited to continue on to, on this journey, telling these stories about my friend Pete and the stories about me that I think are, are, worth, are worth being told. I'm just a regular person. We're all just regular people. Everyone. We're just ordinary people. <laughs> I think we all face our battles, we all have our own battles to fight. And I think it is truly important who we let influence us and how we fight those battles. And I'm gonna say right now, Spider-Man is not my only influence. I have not always been a good guy. I have not always been the best guy. I've never been a perfect guy, but I've been a, I've been a human being. And I like to think for the most part, if you rack up my wins and losses, there may be more losses, but my wins are great. And if you rack up my uh, good deeds versus bad. I don't know where I stand, but I would hope that my good deeds outweigh the bad. But if they don't, I know that for the majority of the time, the majority of the time, I I, I was trying to be good, or my what well, my idea of be good was. But I had my I had my black suit phase, 
and I have my black suit moments. We're gonna get into all of those. We're gonna get into all of those. So this has been an ultra supersized edition. And I wanna say thank you so much, so much for coming along with me on this ride, especially being a patron. I hope that we engage in a more personal way, you know, between comments and conversations and and wherever we go, wherever, wherever we uh, go and grow from this, I'm excited for it. And I wanna say again, Thank you so much for coming along for the ride. And we have come to the end of the very first episode of me and my friend Pete. Next, the next episode will be the amazing Spider-Man number one. So we're now we're jumping into the amazing Spider-Man after leaving amazing fantasy behind. It's going to be the amazing Spider-Man number one. And then the bonus issue will be, hold on, I have to, uh, turn a page here the bonus issue will be avengers number 357 night warning thank you so much for listening this has been me and my friend pete and remember with great power you know the rest make sure you're being responsible i'm out of here me and my best friend pete old adventures new critiques he spins webs i spin yarns Kinda kooky, be forewarned, look out, it's me and my friend Pete.